Man, I'm having so much fun. This is a $1.6 trillion industry. I'm talking about the food and beverage space. If you're not having fun, you're in the wrong place. Yes, it's hard work, but my gosh, the companies, the brands, the flavors, the experiences, the missions, it's fantastic. But some of the brands are different, better, and special. They're the ones who are able to really compete and vie for customer loyalty. Look, I know you want to make your brand different, better, and special. I know you yourself want to be different, better, and special. That's my mission. That's why you're here. Join me on this journey as I interview CEOs and founders from all the different companies within the food and beverage industry so we can discover what they're doing, so we can take that information back, digest it, and become better ourselves and to help our companies take on different strategies, pick the right technology, pick the right partners. And of course, you got to have great tasting food. You got to have great tasting beverages, packaged goods. If it doesn't taste good, you're lost. I'm sorry. You're going to lose millions. If you're new here, take the five episode challenge. Go back, pick out some brands and CEOs, some topics. If you love the content, subscribe. You're going to find it on every podcast platform once or twice a week. But I also publish them on LinkedIn because that's where we kind of hang out. So when you see it on LinkedIn, stop by, make a comment, share it back into your food and beverage network. I would appreciate it. The brands would appreciate it. To all my loyal listeners, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. Thank you for being with me on this journey. Thanks for coming along on this mission for the past two years. If you are considering a strategic job change, message me. Let's have a confidential conversation. If your brand is growing and you need to attract experts, you also need to contact me because I have created a different, better, and special recruiting system. I promise you, no other search firm in America is doing that. Who am I? I'm Tony Moore. I'm an expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I'm here each and every week Stay tuned for this week's episode. All right, everybody, I've got a pop quiz for you. I know everyone loves a pop quiz. What company in only two and a half years is now in nine countries, has raised $130 million, is in the food service and restaurant channels, and in the restaurant space has over 1,500 restaurants, roughly, that they're in. Oh, and by the way, to make this a little bit harder, it's a plant-based company. You give up? It's Tyndall. And I actually have the CEO of Tyndall here with me today, Andre Menez. No, I didn't say it right. I just blew it. Menezes. Menezes. That's it. It's That's the extra right. S. It's the extra S at the end. Menezes. Well, the, right. listen, it's still an impressive, uh, kind of almost shocking statement to hear just this en- enormous growth that um, you're experiencing. And we're going to get into that. We're going to get into your business model. But before we get into that, I want people to understand more about this kind of fascinating origin story um, because you've got this mechanical engineering background. You've spent some time in the commercial chicken plate, uh, uh, kind of these commercial factories, which are absolutely awful. And um, lo and behold, we've got this fantastic company. So welcome in. And I can't wait to get into this information with you today. 
Thank you so much, Johnny. Very happy to be here with you today and to share a little bit more about our story. Yeah, so first of all, explain the name, Tyndall. Great question and great way to start. Um, everything we do at Tyndall is related to sustainability and reducing the climate change uh, and the impacts we have been having on our planet. And as a key element of that is obviously the greenhouse gas effect. Uh, we looked down in history and we found out that um, a physicist named John Tingo from Ireland figured out in late 1800s that the carbon dioxide has heat absorption properties. And that's the base understanding for what we later um, you know, called the greenhouse gas effect. Uh, his name was John Tingo. Um, it spells different from Tingo, our product and brand, but... Uh, that's the inspiration behind it. Look at that. So that is a throwback, um, kind of an honor, kind of a, a tip of the cap, if you will. I, I always love how people come up with company names. It's such a fascinating process when you've got this great idea and this company and you you put pen to paper and you try to figure out what's the name that's going to resonate. And you just went back in history. Exactly. We want it to be meaningful, um, you know, related to our mission. We wanted it to be short and global and not, you know, the company was started global from day one. That was our ambition. We don't think that climate change can be solved at a local level. So we wanted to create something that was global from the get-go using our experiences and, and, and knowledge before that we had before in our lives. And, and Tingo, the name and the brand and how we position and all that was created with that in mind. Uh, it was a very challenging, uh, one of the most challenging things we've done was actually to create a name, I must tell you. Really? I, I mean, literally, if you've never done it, it is literally like giving birth. Sorry to all the women who actually have given birth and here's just two guys. <laughs> but, you know, it's, but it's hard. It is really hard to come up with something that's, uh, that's meaningful. Um, it, to me, it makes sense that you've got an engineering background and you're in plant-based because it's a very complicated food to me. You know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not an engineer. I'm not a food scientist, but it's a very complicated uh, product, I, I see. So it makes sense that you come out of this engineering background, but you started in, 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 in chicken. And I, I imagine that had a huge impact uh, on how you felt about well, what you were seeing. Yeah, exactly. And that's a very funny uh, point that I just mentioned there, because my engineering background uh, actually makes me understanding that when I was working with the chicken in the meat industry, made me understand how complicated animal farming actually is and how inefficient animal farming actually is. And that's when I started questioning if animal farming made sense at all, uh, while we absolutely love the taste and the texture of that ingredient. And in this case, chicken it could be, you know, meat or anything. That's not what a bird called chicken was designed to be, right? And that means that by using this technology, the chicken, the bird, to create the ingredient we want, um, it's very inefficient. And my engineering background just makes it very, actually very logical, frankly, because plant-based foods, you're doing, you are achieving that outcome, which is basically the ingredient, the texture, the looks and the taste and all that is straight from the plants. You are bypassing the animal out of the equation and making it a much simpler, much more efficient process by using technology and deploying technology 
to solve, uh, you know, just like we've done for transport. We don't need horses anymore. We don't need whale oil to light the streets anymore. We don't need bulls pulling, you know, mills anymore. So why do we need to rely on animal farming in 2022, frankly, to, to produce the food that we love? That, that doesn't make sense. And, you know, obviously that transition is starting to happen. And that's how everything started for me by understanding that. Talk a little bit about the inefficiency that you discovered, that you witnessed, and why this, I think, and you think is, is so important that we have this plant-based uh, solution. Exactly. So if you think about any, you know, any animal, um, the evolution over thousands of years uh, was bringing that um, animal to a stage um, in which that animal would be, you know, survive for longer, would be able to reproduce further, would be able to be healthy, uh, you know, survive the weather, uh, be able to eat and convert that food into energy, movement, um, you know, feathers uh, and everything else that you need to survive, depending on the environment you're at. Um, you know, and, and that's basically the how an organism in a very simple way uh, works, right? Uh, as a sub-product of that, um, it just happens that the meat and or meaning like some of the muscles that that animal develops to remain alive and, and, and have movement uh, you know, be able to move around. It just so happens that they taste good and we learned to like it and they're nutritious, right? So that's a kind of, a, it's, it's almost an accident if you think about it. It's a, almost a coincidence, an accident. It's not what they were really designed for. Uh, what that means is that we are slaughtering 80 billion animals um, just for us to get that byproduct of, a, you know, of a creature that was alive and, uh, you know, just to try to get the byproduct of the, the evolution in the shape of an ingredient. That doesn't seem to make sense to me. We don't need feathers. We don't need beaks. We don't need blood. We don't need, you know, we don't need all the inlets of, you know, for, for of an animal. We don't need the, 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 the movement and the heat and, and all the things that this animal will spend most of its food intake through its life with. We don't need most of that. We only need ingredients. So how can we solve for an ingredient? How can we take the same inputs we have basically, right? Being very, in very simple terms, a bird is basically getting soy and water or corn and water and then using the genetics to, in a very complex way, right, uh, transform that into everything I just described. Uh, and then our question is, how can we go straight from the, the beans, the soy or whatever ingredient uh, we're using uh, in water, it's straight into the muscle, right? It's straight into that, when I say muscle, is the ingredient. That's what I've done. It's much simpler than the animal, frankly, <laughs> and, and that's why we do it. How many birds did you say were slaughtered a year? Uh, animals in the world, uh, in general, total is about 80 billion, about there, 70 to 80 billion. And then birds account for the majority of that, like 55 to 60. I don't know the exact figure. I know it varies, obviously. But it's also the fastest growing. So in number of animals slaughtered, chicken is the number one um, animal slaughtered uh, land animal for, for food. Uh, and in terms of volume eaten, uh, chicken has also became, like, became recently, a few last years, became the number one as well. The more I have learned about the commercial chicken operation, it has completely turned me off to chicken. 
And it's, um, it's a problem now when I go out and eat, you know, guys, there's chicken everywhere on every menu. It's very hard literally to find food that doesn't have chicken these days. And uh, so I think having, you know, alternative chicken, I think is a great idea because we do love it. You know, it, we use it in just about everything these days. Um, so there has to be a more efficient way, you know, of creating chicken meat. And obviously that's what you're uh, striving to do at, at Tyndall. But I will say there have been um, some very challenging trends right now, right, in in plant base. So if we're looking at what's happening out there, you know, Impossible Foods, you know, they've had layoffs. It's been it's also affected. Uh, well, Plantera, you know, they they got shuttered. JPS, uh, J, JBS shut them down. Um, there's more. You know, there's been some negative news out there. But you guys have this positive trend. So what? What can you say about this? Why are we going through this right now? And, and d- does it affect you or your investors? Uh, that's a great question. And it's obviously, I think it's an important topic for us as an industry to share from inside what we see that's going on. What are the concerns? What are the real challenges? What is the specific to our industry? What's a broader macro outlook? Um, and I think there are a few things uh, loaded into that, right? I guess, number one, there is an economic um, slow down and that's affecting not only plant based that's affecting I mean how many tech companies you have seen recently also laying off quite a number of people right some are profitable some are not but um, you know at the moment that even Apple has uh, reduced the hiring and, 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 and actually they, they announced that they're going to stop hires uh, that are not in engineering or R&D so and that's the biggest and most profitable company in the world uh, in, in value, value and, and profitability, right? So that's uh, that's a sign that there is a macro, not only specific to plant-based topic. That's number one, but that doesn't mean that plant-based is just you know just following a, the same as every every other. Uh, I guess plant-based has suffered a bit more, at least in terms of attention and press, and that that's related mostly to um, some numbers that were out in terms of consumption increase. Um, and sales increase over the last 12 months or so uh, that has been pointing to in a few markets, in particular the, the one that this is making more noise is actually the US, that the numbers haven't grown uh, year on year this year. Um, while they have grown a lot before, there was like this a spike of 40% um, before and now it's basically uh, it has shown some signs of stagnation in the US retail. Uh how do we see that, and what do, so what to what do we attribute it? Uh, is this the end of plant based? Like is, is the beginning of the end, or is this the beginning of the beginning? What is, how do we see that, right? So I guess uh, there are a few components. I think number one, during the pandemics, there was a channel migration. Obviously, uh, less people eating out and more people eating in um, in, in, in in buying food and groceries and trying new things. Um, and why is that relevant for plant-based? It's relevant because most of the sales for plant-based actually happen at the grocery. So that migration of channel has benefited companies that had high reliance on retail, uh, supermarkets and groceries. And on the other hand, companies that were highly exposed to food services, they went down, uh, obviously, right? So re- restaurants were obviously shut um, in that case, plant-based has benefited, and some of that is immense spike that we've seen before uh, was, in fact, attributed to 
that migration. And obviously with food services coming back up and uh, normalizing things that retail sales shows uh, that, that suffering, that's number one. Uh, number two, it's also important to recognize that a lot of the trials and especially first time trials happen obviously because of excitement around the category, the novelty factor um, and all that. And the reality is that many products out there, they simply don't really perform. Um, and all of us, I guess, know people who are not vegans or vegetarians or flexitarians. They're trying to reduce the meat consumption, but they're not willing to give up the experience. That's why the plant-based meat category even exists, right? Um, and the reality is that many times, many products out there, they simply don't really perform. So there is that first and only purchase and the repetition rate uh, is not that high. So that hinders the growth of the category as a whole. And that shows up in the aggregate numbers. So that's number two. Um, what's important to highlight here, though, is that on the long-term trend, absolutely nothing has changed. In fact, it's only getting better. So plant-based discussions, um, sustainability-related talks, like bringing food into the center of the topic. Food was not a topic in, in, in anything related to climate change, you know, 10 years ago. Now it's at the very center of it. You know, there's a, the general consumer already is aware that, you know, that, that food choices do impact climate change and that meat consumption is harmful for the planet on that end. And that we simply do not have enough resources for a growing population with a growing consumption per capita to keep the same patterns we have. That has not changed. In fact, it's only getting better from a perspective of plant-based. The category has evolved very positively there. Products are getting better, capacity is being installed, uh, awareness is growing. Um, it doesn't mean, though, that's easy, right? Uh, we are dealing with um, a very aspirational ingredient, meat, which we all have loved, uh, have learned to love over thousands of years. And suddenly we are educating ourselves back again that, you know, we should try to find alternatives and resist that impulse, or at least be open to try plant-based options that would deliver on the same experience. Um, and then some products don't, didn't really do it. So that, that's the overall context. Uh, we're very positive about the outlook, the, the long term. Obviously, the short term uh, will be challenging for anyone in, in the category to deal with the, the, the noise and, the, and the, the, the concerns. But frankly, I do think that that's only going to make us better. It's going to make the industry better, the products better. It's going to take out some of the noise and some of the players that maybe shouldn't have existed in the first place. And that's going to raise the bar for consumers. Products going to be better. It's going to be cheaper and it's going to be more widely available. That's how we see it. We see it as opportunity. Yeah, I'm really glad you framed it that way because if you're a first-time adopter and you're trying a brand that for so, they just, I don't want to say they got lucky, but they they made it into your natural uh, chain and, and you tried them and they weren't any good. You know, you kind of killed it for the whole category, you know, for that shopper in that one store. They're like, oh, I didn't like it. My kids didn't like it. But if you've got better brands, better better quality for those first time adopters, they're going to come back. And that was the problem compared to the meat case. The meat case gets, you know, 10, 20x turnover. Uh, compared to what's happening. So I think it's a great point. And yeah, you say eliminate the noise. 
Uh, that was a nice way of putting it. You know, uh, <laughs> that was a very diplomatic way of of saying, you know, there there there's too many, uh, not too many, but it's it's good to have a lot of of competition, but it it can hurt if they're if they're not good competitors. If it's just companies that are just trying to play in the space, you know, trying to make money on it, versus you know having the uh, right motive. Right. And I think that's what you're referring to. You guys have the right motive. So you want those companies with the right motive and the right resources to play in the space rather than a player that just wants to make money in plant-based because they think it's hot. Yeah, Tony, this is such a brilliant point. And I remember since, um, you know, we, we started being public about the fact that we were launching here in the U.S. And that was about one year ago when we started mentioning that plan. Um, it was like less than that. Uh, we, we were asked many times about like, how do you see yourself entering a market that's so competitive and, you know, how does it work when you're going to be, you know, so many players and all that. And, and frankly, um, I genuinely said all the times, and I really mean it, that those products plant-based, they're not our competition. Our competition, frankly, are the birds. And that was even before we launched here in the U.S. And, and what we've seen is that in over... 90% of the doors and the restaurants we're selling Tindo right now, more than 90% actually were selling plant-based chicken for the first time. We have not displaced um, an existing plant-based chicken option. We have, you know, created a new menu item with them that was plant-based chicken for the first time. That's what is important. And then, like, as you correctly said, it's also possible to miss to misunderstand the, the, the category dynamics and to assume that because other products are not great. That means we have an immense opportunity and our life's going to be easier. But the reality is that the worst competition we can have right now within the plant base on the shelf is basically a competitor that's throwing products that don't really perform because that throws the entire category down, as you said. Yep. And the, the second trial of a category, in this case, the first trial of Tindo, for example, it's much harder if there was a negative experience before. So we root for the category, root for the good players. We like the idea that everything's going to get better, that the industry's going to get better. Challenging times are normal um, for any company, any sector. I don't even need to mention about aviation in 2020 and so many other times, right? Uh, but that, you know, I, I, I do like to believe that those are all opportunities for us to emerge better on the other side. Well, I think you've given such a great vision for what the space can be and why it is important. And I think um, consumers, I think investors, they need to understand, like you said in your third point, that the long-term trends haven't changed. We still have a need. So that's not going to go away. We just need the, the best companies to win out. Now, let's talk about your business model because I think this is um, it's totally different. Okay, Most companies, most entrepreneurs, what do they do? They start small. They start in a region. You did it totally different. This I this is why you're here, really. I want to understand the business side of how you decided to do this. How did you pull it off? How did you get so much scale so quickly? And and maybe what some key learnings you know from this. Yeah, great. And indeed, um, first I think it's important to call out that both Timo and I before starting this company, we had very relevant experiences before in the meat space and plant-based. Um, so we kind of had very 
good experience in both in building a company or running a company and doing global business and producing, manufacturing or not, and delivering and distributing and, and you know, being present in food services, retail and all. So that, that was all, those were experiences we have, you know, individually um, had in our past lives. And, and that without that, we wouldn't be able to do what we've done this time, right? Uh, that, that's the base of that possibility. But what we actually done is that we started by understanding what our mission was. And our mission as a company was to make saving the planet, you know, delicious and easy, not, not a painful thing, right, through good food. Um, and that's how we started. And if we want to make that impact of saving the planet, we cannot afford to go slow. We cannot afford to be small. We had to tackle that on a global level because meat consumption is global, climate change is global, and there's nothing stopping us from tackling that on a more global approach rather than trying to start small. So what we've done, uh, we put a lot of thinking behind our business. So you said something interesting, right? Most of the first-time founders um, or, you know, the, you, what it, you, you get up, you, you do a product, you develop a product, and then you figure out how to produce it. And then you figure out how to sell it. And then you figure out how to wrap this whole thing as a business. We started the other way around. We started with like, what is our mission? Um, what do we want to achieve? What's the best business model to solve for that mission? And then we designed the business model. As part of the business model, we decided what we were going to do. But most importantly, what we were not going to do. So on the what we were going to do, it was clear that we would try to embrace a very challenging mission and complexity of being global. That was something we designed as a business objective. Um, but then because we wanted to be so bold and so um, crazy on that front, frankly, we were very mindful and very narrowly focused in terms of the value chain. So we designed a business that were completely asset light that was focused on the intellectual property we would have, be on the commercial side as runs around the business, be on the product side on how to develop a plant-based protein that performs as well as meat or better, and be then on communication and brand and, and, and that entire education of consumers. So we focused to design that business model. And then from the business model, we then decided and we used what we had, our toolboxes of you know, getting the best talents in each one of those areas and putting it all together to create this business. That's how we've done it. And that's the, that, how we kicked it off. Yeah, I, that's great that you started from what kind of an impact did you want to make? You started with your mission rather than, hey, I've got this idea for a product. What's our mission? <laughs> I mean, you, <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah and I think um, a couple other things that you said there, you said um, very narrow focus, you know, hyper-focused and um, really focusing in on that value chain. So tell me about manufacturing because I've talked to other plant-based entrepreneurs and they have a problem. Their, their challenge is producing at scale. So how are you addressing this um, through manufacturing or through Maybe you've got some IP out there that is enabling you to do this. So how are you accomplishing that hurdle of, of volume? Because you obviously are in, what, nine countries, a lot of food service. 
uh, in restaurants. So you have to be pushing volume to support everybody at once. Yeah, and uh, I would tell you we're just starting and we can go much, much bigger than that, frankly. Uh, with the way we designed it was basically for what's happening right now, for that growth. But um, we had both Timo and I in our past experiences have started up factories, run factories, understood clearly how do they work. We have also dealt with co-manufacturers before. We have dealt with co-packers. We have dealt with... Um, all of that in our past experiences. Uh, and our experiences were solid enough for us to break or challenge some of the paradigms you may hear around very commonly. It's not what you mentioned, but you would hear a lot of people who would claim that to keep their IP or their knowledge or their product, they need to own the factory. Uh, we know for a fact that one, this is not true, and like, and it's go, it goes both ways. You don't need to produce yourself to keep your IP, but also producing yourself doesn't mean you're keeping your IP, right? I mean, if you're producing yourself without any really being serious about protecting your knowledge and your trade secrets or intellectual property, your plant manager will know it all, and he he or she may be hired by another company, and you're gone. Like not, not, not your gun as a company, but your knowledge that you were trying to protect and you thought or claimed to be protected just because you are the owner of that asset, the factory. It's a it's false gone. sense of security. It's a false sense of security. It's a false sense of security. But actually, if you look at very high complexity, high IPs areas or highly protected spaces, you will see that it's not uncommon to see people outsourcing the manufacturing itself. Be Apple working with Foxconn, which is not a secret to anyone, but it doesn't mean you can just go to Foxconn and get an iPhone with your logo, right? It's, that's the kind of thing, the misconceptions out there. Same thing for Coca-Cola. Everyone knows Coca-Cola outsources their bottling and you know the, the, the way they work and all that. It doesn't mean that there is another, everyone knows, like the, 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 leak, the, the formula has leaked and now you have a exact... Coca-Cola being copied by copied by another company, right? That that and, and they outsource it across the world for decades. So those misconceptions, they're 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 logical. Um, there is a logic on how people get to that thinking, but the reality is that we have been through all that before, and we know that one, it's not enough, and two, it's not needed. So we worked, uh, we, we, we decided to, to develop a business model that would work with partnerships, a completely asset light on our side, very efficient in capital. Um, and we would engage specialized partners to work uh, with and for us in specific portions of our value chain. So we could have a very narrow focus on what portion of the value chain we're doing in-house versus what part we control via someone else. For example, we don't need to have truck drivers in every country or in delivering to restaurants, right? We can work with distributors. We don't need to have factory in every country. We can work with a co-manufacturer. That's how we designed it. And that's what I mean by being very narrowly focused on the business model. Okay. So explain to me what comes first. Do you do you establish manufacturing before you have the final end where the product's going to go, your uh, 
your retail or food service uh, partner, or do you pre-sell to your you know food service restaurants and then turn on manufacturing? That's always kind of a challenge. How do you, which comes first, chicken or the egg? Unintended. <laughs> the chicken came first. Okay, um, okay. We 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 start the way we work. Um, we I mean I understand what you mean, and I I don't want to. I I'm going to give you the answer on how we have solved uh, based on our go to market strategy, but it could have been different as well. Um, so it could be both ways, according to what you're saying. There it could be both ways, and none of them would be wrong. But the way we worked was we wanted to have it broadly available and distributed, right? We're not targeting one specific client that we would sell to and then produce. We're targeting how can we develop, how can we produce, how can we pack it, how can we distribute, make it available, and then sell, right? So that's how we tackled. And then once it was available and able to be delivered and all that, then the sales process basically started. Got That's it. how. Got it. The, how so the chicken. It. So the chicken did come first. Chicken did come first in our case. We have solved the lifelong question. The chicken came first. Um, <laughs> all right. That is. Uh, that's kind of an interesting uh, insight into how you think and how you're building and scaling. You guys have raised a lot of money. Um, are you? still going through a, uh, a capital raise process or are you able to generate enough revenue now based on, on operations? Yeah, we, we have raised a significant amount of money exactly because we understand that what we're up against is a $1.4 trillion industry per year revenue, right? The meat industry. Um, and those guys have been investing decent amounts of money every year to one become more efficient and be able to develop the channel and deliver like frankly the tasty products to consumers right and create that education so we cannot discount how big the challenge uh, we're dealing with is so that's why we raise that amount of money because we know how hard it is for us to fulfill our mission and how big the challenge uh, we have in front of us is um, but we have not raised that money to burn through very quickly, right? We're very cautious in making sure we had, um, you know, with the raise enough runway to uh, establish our business, to access the markets we want to, um, and then develop and, and do pivots along the way if needed and when needed. So uh, finally, to your question, we do not have any fundraise um, on the horizon right now. Um, it doesn't mean we'll not raise again. It's just that we don't have the need to do that in the in the next twenty four months at least. Um, and we will. Our focus is entirely on delivering on our mission. Well, we've talked a little bit about your mission, but I want to hear a little bit more about your brand and tell people more about Tyndall, the kind of the product offerings, the best way for people to find it and try it and adopt it. Uh, as everyone knows, I'm a flexitarian, so I'm, I'm a big believer in, in 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 what you're doing. Sure. So um, we, if you look at our brand and how we created Tingle as a you know the feeling and the perception you would have, we looked at what food represents for us consumers, right? And uh, more importantly, what meat represents and what is our emotional. Um, connection to it. So 
if I ask you um, what is the best food experience you ever had, uh, I could guess with a certain degree of of <laughs> chances of, of getting it right that you're going to remember being in a restaurant with a very nice ambience with food prepared by a chef, meat, uh, some sort of meat, could be fish or chicken or uh, beef, whatever, but, but meat was definitely on it. Um, and there's a high chance that you were with a group of loved ones or at least one. You're not alone, probably. And highly likely you were traveling, right? So that that shows how when you talk about the best food experiences, you note how I have not even started to mention about the taste, the texture, the spices and all that. And right. that's the experience. Very important. The, yeah, the experience. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's very important. And um, surprisingly, plant-based foods have been for so long, basically tasteless cardboard served for people trying to watch Netflix <laughs> and grab some bites. Right. Um, There's these, you know, frozen, uh, frozen plastic bags, you know? Yeah. So that's not the best food experience you had. And we wanted to make sure that throughout our brand, our communication, our go-to-market strategy, that's why we started with restaurants, we wanted to make sure we would take the hardest path, frankly, and that's the hardest. If you ever sold something to a chef, you would know what I'm talking about. It's always, you know, they're the hardest to crack. But we knew that by, you know, if we had a product the chefs would be excited with, that meant we nailed the product and the product is amazing. And that we also knew all the way that by having that product being served at a restaurant with the ambience, with the experience, with people around you, you're going to challenge that very uh, paradigm that I was mentioning about how plant-based foods have been for so long associated with terrible tasting foods. Um, and that that's how we started. That's how our brand was designed. That's how our go-to-market was designed. That's why we started the restaurants. And to your point, where can you find it? You can only find it in restaurants right now in nine countries. If you go to tindo.com-find, you will see restaurants near you. But you can also have um, delivered to anywhere in the U.S., uh, with Gold Belly, with Chef Chad from from Philadelphia, he uh, ships on Gold Belly meal kits that are incredible, like a fried chicken sandwich. Um, What's the name of that again? Uh, Gold Belly, GoldBelly.com. Got it. On um, there, if you Google, if, if you search Tindo there on Gold Belly, you will find uh, some dishes made by Chef Chad uh, in Philly. And they're amazing. Chef Chad is a is is, a, is an incredible partner we have out of Philly, and he uh, he's a barbecue chef. He runs a barbecue restaurant, and he got really crazy about Tinder when he tried for the first time. And since then, we've been working closely together. And he he sells on that platform, Gold Valley, from his restaurant. And Tinder is available there, so you can have it anywhere in the US uh, prepared. In, in, in your place. It's kind of like meal kit. That's kind yeah. of a meal kit. Meal kit it idea. is. I, I, I just want to interrupt and say one thing. I, I, I like your website because you definitely have put the focus on the chef. And you're just, and that kind of resonates right now that it's chef designed, you're selling to chefs and you can look on your website and you can see all the different chefs that are using it. You can see what they're making so you're really kind of taking the mystery out of, you know, how to use it and how to make it the best way. Exactly. Uh, that's fundamental. And we, 
chefs are our heroes, frankly. Uh, and remember, and the reason why they are is because we figure out and we learn and we all recognize that our best food experiences, uh, there was always a chef behind it. And, you know, and at times we don't, we don't really realize that, um, because, you know, <laughs> sometimes we think that chefs are only in those super fine dining, like crazy, um, master chef kind of, of, of things. But the reality is that even if you go to your local, you know, restaurant and bar, there's always there's always a chef. Uh, sometimes a self-trained chef, sometimes a formally trained chef. Um, but there's always a chef putting a lot of effort and science and art into creating a dish that's going to satisfy your, you know, your experience in terms of texture, taste, presentation, size, portion, plating, everything. Right. And there's someone looking at the environment and ambient. So they are our heroes. They are the best carriers of that experience. And guess what? There's no way a poor tasting product would perform at scale at restaurants because people have to buy it. People have to be happy with it. If not, they're going to be list out of the menu. That That's a very hard bar. It's a cold with. reality, right? I mean, yeah. if, if they don't get people to come back and order they got a business to run. They're not going to yeah. use your product. I mean, that's, I think that's the, the beauty of that, of that system. People are very discerning. If it's not good, they're not going to do it. Yeah. And it goes a bit further. Even we, um, we are preparing to launch in groceries and supermarket and our process of selling with and for chefs were such, was such that we were collecting data of, oh, you created super versatile products, right? The chefs could do whatever they wanted. I mean, the last thing you can do is sell something that's ready for a chef. They will never buy it, right? So it was a product that chefs could play with. They could add their own spin. They could do their own seasonings, preparations. And um, we started collecting that, you know, information and feedback. So what are they doing? What are they serving? What is the right way? What is the right size of the portion? What are the killer products? And, and so on and so forth. And we collected all of that input um, to create and develop our supermarket products so that entire journey in more than a thousand five hundred restaurants around the world is being used to learn develop products and then bring that um, quality to consumers um, on, on in their in their houses I think that's incredible I keep hearing how companies innovate I've we've had I can't tell you how many episodes I've had where people are using Amazon to innovate. I've heard from other uh, beverage manufacturers that are using convenience stores to innovate because it's so hyper-local. You're doing the very same thing. You are hyper-local with the chef in their local market. You find out how they like to prepare it, and now you've taken all that information, and now you're delivering it to the groceries. I, It's brilliant. It's a great idea because people are going to really love the way it comes to them for the home chef to then use it in their meals because that's that's what you have to do with meat. You've got to figure out how it fits onto your plate and how you want to present it to everybody. It's a great idea. Um, yeah. Andre, I, I, Andre, we could literally talk for another hour. There is so much here for us to talk about. So we'll have to have a part two at some point <laughs> in 2023 and see how the uh, launch has gone into um, retail. Well, that'll be great. Uh, always happy to to share more about the journey and the challenges we go and face along the way. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you were hoping I'd get to? Uh, no, I guess. Um, oh, come on. I'm not that yeah. good. <laughs> 
No, I mean, I, I, I just, I just feel that you know this entrepreneurial journey at times from the outside looks so, so easy and you know so glamorous. We're brilliant and glamorous, but I think for the listeners, it's also important to just, um, you know, just to, to share like openly how a lot of what I just described was like you know not a smooth ride, and, and, and we're happy with that, and we, we try a lot, we, um, we learn and we evolve. Mistakes are okay; it's not okay not to try, um, and. You know, just I just like to remind our team and you know whoever is watching that it's not not at all a journey in which everything has been exactly anticipated and planned and followed. A lot of that is learning along the way, being uh, ready to deal with uncertainty, ready to deal with issues, uh, ready to iterate and, and um, you know uh, if needed you can pivot. Sometimes it's a big pivot, sometimes it's a small. But definitely embracing failure and learning from it and moving on. I think that's important as well. Just it doesn't sound that everything we've done was so perfectly uh, planned, thought through or executed as well, because it obviously wasn't. But yet here we are. Exactly. It's that drive. I mean, on a broad level, we had very yeah, clear. You just don't stop. You, just, yeah, you, just, it, you exactly. don't stop. Uh, I live by the philosophy, act, learn, adjust. You have to just take in the new information and go. Well, Andre, thank you so much for being here today and exposing everyone to Tyndall and the different uh, business model strategy that you've used and your insights into the trends of what's happening in plant-based. All the best uh, success to you uh, in 2023. Thank you so much, Sonny. It was a pleasure sharing with you. I'm looking forward for the next session.